It's time for Hawk Central. From the Des Moines Register and 1460 KXNO, Des Moines Sports Station. Off and running with Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO. Fear not, Chad Lystico and myself are back in the studio, so it will not be an off-the-rails train wreck as it was last (laughs) Wednesday. Embarrassing for our families, for Chad and I to have our names attached to that uh, uh, disaster of a program. We did invite Mark Emmert back so he could apologize to all of our listeners. Mark? Uh, not going to apologize for anything. I stand by the whole program. I thought it was great. <laughs> it was really good. Uh, you had uh, uh, Coach Parker on with you last week. LeVar Woods is going to be joining us here in about 25 minutes or so. He's down in Texas, and he's got uh, it, working on some stuff. Obviously, it's a busy time of year for all of these coaches, and Coach Woods is going to be nice enough to squeeze us in here in about 15 or 20 minutes. Chad Leistico, how are you, man? Good week off? Yeah, it was okay. Was it busy? <laughs> yeah. Had some uh, home ownership, uh, you know, the joys of home ownership oh, uh, struggles. I, but didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but uh, that was part of it. All right, but it was good to be good to be around for that. Yeah. I, f- I feel like there are a couple news worthy items here that we should probably knock out before we get Coach Woods because we might have him on again in twenty twenty five minutes. We're also hoping to hook up with Matt Bain to talk a little bit of basketball recruiting. Yeah, there's DJ been, Carton. Yeah, it's a movement. Up. That is pretty cool. And it, yeah. we'll talk about uh, how that ball has moved on the DJ Carton uh, line here in a, a few minutes. I want to start first before we get to Matt Bain with two stories. Chad, I feel like the two newsy things are the gambling issue that we have uh, kind of beat up the last couple nights here on Fanatics. And then the other one is the announcement of uh, future scheduling with Iowa and Nebraska on the basketball side mm-hmm. of things. What, the gambling, the number one story here? Yeah. What, <clears throat> what have you guys kind of discussed? I mean, let's take get your take first, and maybe okay. you get me and Mark can weigh in. Um, I, I'm interested to see how this affects college sports. Uh, I don't think that this is going to be a disaster for college sports. I don't think this ends the NCAA model. Uh, it's going to be interesting how the integrity fee conversation plays out in this. That's, to me, been one of the more fascinating parts of this conversation. I am not a gambler, but I have no problem with this. Uh, I'm, I, I see this as kind of a victimless crime, if you, even if you see it as a crime, doing gambling. So I have no problem with them opening this up. I think it will uh, probably increase the amount of money that these universities, the, the, the amount of interest that happens in college sports, so, I think it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. Am I missing? Am I missing some huge pitfalls here, Chad? Uh, you know, I guess just to set the stage, I mean the the legalization of sports betting by the Supreme Court essentially, uh, you know, obviously states would have to enact it. So right, you know, yeah. you can't just walk up to Prairie Meadows and place a sports bet yet, right? Um, or or your, uh, you know. Uh, Iowa tap room eventually, you know, being able to place bets, places like that, who knows, yeah. you know, but, uh, uh, obviously I think what's most interesting is it's just finally going to be legal. I mean, I, I read something today that the American gaming association says there was a $150 billion of illegal gambling in the U S um, last year alone. And so uh, that's kind of my take is this, this stuff is happening already and so it's. I don't think it's going to be a. You know, there's already been pressures with athletes, et cetera, and that's something I want to ask Coach Woods about: is how do they, how do they deal with deal with that up front? Yeah, um, you know, great the, question. The, uh, the pressures of gambling, because you, know, you know these guys may get contacted to fix a game or something like that. So, but I I think that stuff is probably already you know 
occurring because of the illegal gambling market. So I don't think it changes that part that much. What's interesting to me, as someone who does know a little bit about this, is will you know will the sports book down the street accept a uh, you know Tyler Cook over under sixteen and a half points you know type of wager and will will that start to become more of a prevailing you know opportunity because I could see that being a little bit more uh, controllable by athletes something like that you know just pass the ball a little bit more you don't have to tank or anything you know you know things like that so right. just real little stuff mm-hmm. all over the place that that interests me about this topic but let's get to the ncaa president on this yeah, issue. Right. Uh, <laughs> mark what was your reaction to the news of that uh no you know i i sound like i agree with you guys i don't think it's going to be as as big of a impact as maybe some people think i mean i think like chad said it's been going on already um and i can't see it i mean i'll, I'll be curious to see how much more gambling that can even be in this country <laughs> you know, just because they legalize it in certain states i mean I don't, I don't know what the impact of that will be but i don't think the impact on the sport itself is going to be yeah Substantial. I do think it's going to be. They call it integrity fee. Actually, uh, Gary Barter referred to it as a compliance fee. I think he liked that term better. But uh, I think that that kind of stuff will be a little interesting to watch to see what what, what take the schools can get from it, and then maybe uh, if any of that gets passed on to the athletes themselves in college. But uh, Barter was saying that thirty percent of all gambling is on college sports already. I wonder if that if that percentage will go up or down. Um, I just don't. To me, it's not as interesting as it is to a lot of other people because I don't gamble. So you know, I think it's fine that it happens and part of life in uh, in America. It always has been. It's part of life in Europe, for sure, for a long time. They've yeah. they figured out how to make it work, so I think it'll be fine. So, Mark, uh, as journalists here, I mean, how do you how do you think that this changes maybe what we do once that, if that becomes more prevalent? Does it change what we do and how we write things as yeah, this becomes I mean, I'm, more prevalent? I'm hoping it doesn't, <laughs> because uh, I'm just not sure what that would be. Uh, I guess we could, I mean, we already run betting lines, or a lot of papers have. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it is, I'm not sure I'm not going to refer to that every time I write a game story that you know, Iowa won a game and covered or whatever. I just don't know about that. But, I mean, if I'm told to, I will, I guess, if that, if that becomes a big part of the story. Yeah, Mark, I think I'm with you. I don't see a huge uptick, but I do think that there will be an uptick in the amount of Sure. College sports gambling. If we can see, like Chad said, Iowa. Yeah. Well, when we talked to Representative Jake Heifel on Monday afternoon, he's the guy that has already written a bill. He plans on presenting in January. Yep. He wants to put mobile game, mobile gaming, uh, as mm. part of this. So you would have to go out to the brick and mortar casino, like Prairie Meadows. You would register, sign up for their program, and then you would be able to place mobile bets. Yeah. If you're, you know, you you basically put money onto your account at the casino. And then build right. from from that, so you don't have to drive out to Altoona from West Des Moines or from the South Side to place your bet. And I, so I think yeah. you make it more convenient. You will see an uptick. I completely agree with your premise that this isn't going to be a life changing thing for anybody. Chad, anything yeah. else to add on this on the on the gambling thing? Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, yeah. I think it's it it will be a, a whole new world though. If, if I think there's a lot of people probably out there that that don't understand, you know, you know how to get into illegal gambling or whatever. And now that it's going to be much more commonplace, I think mm. there's going to be a lot more. I still think there's going to be a lot more activity. I just don't know. I think the big money is already being thrown at it, though. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, yeah. I think there might be the, the little guys you know, coming in at it. But it'll be interesting, you know, sitting in car, you know, seeing fans sitting in Carver Hawkeye Arena, you know, punching in their yeah. you know, yeah. halftime bets with their mobile well, betting. And, well, Mark, when you, when you uh, talked to uh, – <laughs> When over you, under on how many timeouts Fran uses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> over under zero. Sorry, go ahead. 
Go ahead, Ron. Now, what? Uh, and I, I'm sorry, Mark, that I can't even remember exactly where I, what I wanted to ask you about this. The, the the integrity fee, as Gary Barter referred to it as the compliance, compliance. fee. Yeah. I mean, can you explain to us a little bit as to why the schools would even have any jurisdiction to ask for money? Well, what they're saying is that if they have to hire more staff to to for the compliance of the gambling or the you know make sure that the, the integrity of it and make sure that their athletes aren't you know the ones gambling or throwing games or whatever if they have to monitor this you call it if they have to have a gambling force roaming the hallways of the the athletic complex now he doesn't want that to be an extra cost he so he sure so they, so Gary Barta get paid for that Gary Barta wants us to assume that they already don't have somebody working on that I'm not sure they have any certainly for gambling honestly I'm not yeah. sure they do. Yeah. Probably not. I mean, just they probably have people in compliance, but it, it right, may yeah, be. Not, they're probably anticipating it becoming more prevalent. I would think. Uh, see, to me, that sounds but like, I, it, it, and I'm just. Gonna, this sounds like more of part of the scam. See, it sounds already, like a more well, money grab. You're already. Yeah. Ta- I mean, they're we're going to ask money, Coach. Sure, they're going to try to get some. Right, we're going to ask Coach Woods about this in a little bit. Like you said, how do you guys deal with this now? You've already got illegal gambling. There's already could be pressures in that locker room to throw games to reach certain uh, sort of prop bet type of stuff they must be dealing with this at some level and how much more of a conversation does it take do we need to have another hundred and fifty thousand dollar employee on campus to put a period at the end of those conversations right yeah 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 so that to me like this entire integrity fee that's why i was hoping you could shine a little more light on it mark because it just seems like an absolute hustle it seems like a, a well, almost yeah. a blackmailing in a way well i mean yeah they're going to try to get a big cut of this absolutely i mean it's their product that's how they see it. Hmm. Right? That's what the NBA is doing, too. You know, they're, NBA they're and, MLB, and MLB, but yeah. they don't pay integrity fees to the NFL, as far as I could tell. And, yeah, I, and I'm also curious, money, as, yeah. like, yeah. the jurisdiction is the part of it that's cons- that, that I question the most. If Prairie Meadows, if Iowa says we're not going to pay Iowa and Iowa State integrity fees, does that mean at Prairie Meadows they have to put up their uh, State University A and State University B? Or does that mean they can't use the Cyclone and Hawkeye logos next to their names? Because I don't think Iowa and Iowa State have the jurisdiction to come to Prairie Meadows and say, take our schools off your off your sports book. Yeah, I don't think so. Right. No. So I, it's, the, the integrity fee seems something... Gets worded. Right. The integrity fee seems to me like the athletic department is standing along the side of the highway with a sign. <laughs> drive, right. drive right past them. Ignore them and drive right past them. Two eight four five nine six six. If you'd like to jump in on this, we also want to talk a little bit. The other news of the day or news of the week is the scheduling news of the future with Iowa and Nebraska basketball. We'll get into that a little bit later. Right now, Matt Bain joins us because if we're going to talk about the future of Iowa basketball, this is a guy that's got his finger on the pulse. What's up, Matt? How are you, buddy? Good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, man. We wanted to bring you on here before we get to uh, to Coach Lavar Woods because you uh, we've seen some movement with this DJ Carton. Uh, timeline here. What what's going on? Is Iowa a, a true player now for DJ Carton? Yeah, Iowa's a true player now. It's kind of always been a true player, but since he released his top six, it is now in paper out in the world that Iowa is one of the contenders. So they're competing with Michigan, Ohio State, Indiana, Xavier, and Marquette for DJ Carton. Um, something that I've been hearing a lot of and people have been asking me about is is that. People are saying Ohio State, Michigan, and Indiana are pretty much the only contenders. I saw one story out there, it was either on 24-7 Sports or Rivals, that said 
C.J. Carton basically has the top three of Ohio State, Michigan, and Indiana, and the rest are irrelevant. Um, I'm not sure what sources are telling that writer that. Um, we obviously have different sources because from everything I'm hearing, um, Ohio State, Indiana, and Michigan are really strong players. Of course, it's hard to deny uh, the clout that those three programs have. But Iowa, Marquette, and Xavier are very much in this race. Otherwise, DJ would not have released the top six. He would have just released the top three. Um, Iowa feels really good about its relationship with DJ. They don't have any visits set right now, but they will be working on setting those up this summer. Chad, you want to jump in here? You got some questions for, for Matt about DJ? Well, I just just a quick comment. I mean, this is just such a, uh, a recruit of such magnitude. Obviously, it's the the greatest position of need for the Iowa basketball program. Um, it's 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 the position in college basketball. Um, one hour east, you know, kind of in Hawkeye country. Obviously, that's what, you know that's why we spend so much ink and time. I think uh, wondering about this guy. I mean. Uh, you know, these types of recruits don't don't come along too often in our state, and when they do, they usually go to North Carolina or Kansas. But so the fact that I was in the running is a big deal. But let's say right. let's say Carton uh, does go to another school, another Big Ten school would really probably be insult to injury. But let's say he does. Uh, who would Iowa then then go after um, at point guard if if Carton commits elsewhere? So, so I was in an interesting situation. They. They have to kind of put all their eggs in the DJ Carton basket because he is that verging on five-star guy, because he is that top 30 guy, and they've got to recruit him accordingly. They can't really spend too many resources on any other point guard targets. Uh, so right now they've got a group of about five point guards who they like, who they're continuing to evaluate, who they're continuing to keep in contact with, and who, if they do miss on Carton, these five names would be the ones to watch. Uh, one is Tyrell Terry, the point guard out of Minneapolis, who Iowa State has recently really gone after. Um, other schools are going to be able to pursue him as their number one option. Another name to look at would be Rocket Watts out of Detroit. He's kind of a combo guard. Um, it was thought for a while that he was kind of a Michigan State lean, a favorite for Tom Izzo and the Spartans. But he recently made it very clear with a, with a social media post that his recruitment is wide open. Um, Iowa has an offer out to him. They've been watching this offseason. They're well aware of his strong performances this offseason, and they're keeping in regular contact. Another name is Harlan Beverly, another point guard out of Michigan. Iowa has not offered him yet. Uh, Texas just recently sent him an offer, but he's a four-star guy, uh, long, six foot four, really quick, can run an offense pretty well. Uh, if things don't go according to plan in Michigan State, which is the favorite for him right now, and Iowa misses on Carton, Beverly will be a name to watch. Another name to watch, this is a brand new one, is Noah Hutchinson, three-star point guard, um, out of Buffalo, New York, from Andrew Francis's home state. He's a small guy, 5'11", 170, uh, but he, he's a pass-first floor general. Um, he really sets up his teammates well. Iowa loves that about him. They've recently become aware of him. They're keeping their eye on him, and he is somebody who they will evaluate in the July evaluation period um, and decide whether or not they want to offer. And the final name to keep an eye on is Tyreek Lequeur, the Des Moines North point guard, who a lot of people talk about because he's one of the best players in the state, and he just so happens to be a point guard. Um, Iowa is keeping tabs on him uh, as long as well as all the other four point guards that I just mentioned. Matt, thanks for the time, man. We'll uh, we'll plan on getting you on here in the next couple of weeks. When are we expecting? I mean, give us some sort of timeline here on the DJ Carton thing. Do you have any idea when to expect a decision from him? Late summer, or early fall. Okay. I don't think anything will happen until he takes uh, visits, probably official visits. And then the dominoes fall behind that. The, the Hawks will wait for DJ's decision before they move on any of those other names you talked about. 
Yes. If Iowa starts offering new point guards before DJ Carden makes a decision, that's indicative of something. Okay, then we can all panic. Right, Matt. Thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> thanks, Appreciate buddy. it. We'll talk to you soon. Sure, guys. Bye bye. Listening to Hawk Central here at fourteen sixty KXNO. Chad Lystico, Mark Emmert from the Des Moines Register, hanging out with us. We will have Coach Lavar Woods joining us here in the next ten minutes or so. He's uh, busy working in Texas right now. As soon as he gets some free minutes. He'll give us a ring. We're hoping to get maybe 20, 25 minutes yeah. with Coach Woods. So we've got a lot of stuff we'd like to talk to him about. But right now, we'd take some of your phone calls, 284-5966. Andy wants to talk about a subject in a sport we have not touched on yet tonight. Andy, thanks for calling well, Hawk Central on KXNO, sir. Well, thank goodness. I, I walked back from the ledge there after hearing basketball because, well, this is just my opinion, and I know a lot of people love it, but I think sports radio in Des Moines has been beating the whole gambling thing to death. So that being said, I was hoping you guys were going to lead off with, uh, you know, does Iowa have a baseball team? Are they still playing? Is there something significant that they can still accomplish this year? Uh, haven't been hearing too much about that. You you, you called the right spot, Andy, because Chad Lystico's eyes just lit up when you asked about baseball. So go ahead, Chad. Where are the Hawkeyes? Yeah, actually, I just posted a, a big, long article on Iowa baseball about an uh, hour and a half ago um, and, and their RPI situation. Um, it's had a, had a good conversation with Rick Heller today. Um, about where Iowa stands uh, after they, they were doing great until losing a couple games last weekend at Northwestern. Their RPI has gone from roughly 45 to 64 in the last couple weeks, even after beating Oklahoma State twice, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, that was the 12th ranked team in the country and, and an RPI of 22, and they beat them two out of three. Uh, so they're on the outside of the NCAA tournament looking in right now. Uh, they finish up the baseball regular season uh, this weekend, actually starting Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday with Penn State. They kind of move that calendar up a little bit because the Big Ten tournament is next week, uh, Wednesday through Sunday in Omaha. And as you probably know, Andy, the, uh, the Hawkeyes have been to the Big Ten championship game each of the last two years. So there is hope that they could make a run, but it, right now it looks like they would – they kind of need to sweep Penn State this weekend and then uh, pick off some teams at the Big Ten tournament to, to maybe get that at large. And obviously they could still they'll play their way in regardless by winning the Big Ten tournament as they did last year. Does that help, Andy? Uh, yes, it does. And thanks for walking me back off the ledge even more. And I'm looking forward <laughs> to uh, looking forward to see, hearing Coach Woods here in a little bit. Thanks a lot, Andy. We appreciate it, yep. man. Two eight four five nine six six. If you'd like to jump in on the conversation, you are more than welcome. We are hoping to hook up with Coach Lavar Woods here in the next ten minutes or so. When we get back, uh, some other news that's happened here around the Hawkeyes programs. Well, uh, Mark Emmert was down at the Big Ten meetings, and some news came out about future basketball schedules with the Hawkeyes. Mark will fill us in on all we need to know about that next here on fourteen sixty KXNO. It's Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and 1460 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO, our collaborative effort between KXNO and the Des Moines Register. That's why I get to hang out with Mark Emmert and Chad Lystico and chat Hawks for between 6 and 7 normally here on Wednesday afternoon. And uh, lucky for you, we hit that normal time slot tonight. Mark is just back from Chicago. Mark, was that this week you were in Chicago for the Big Ten meetings? Yeah, it was uh, Monday, Tuesday. And the, the big news that came out of this, obviously, the last couple of days for the Hawkeyes, is that the biggest news that the Hawkeyes are going to have an annual two-game rivalry with Nebraska in basketball? 
Yeah, unfortunately, that probably was the biggest news that we got. <laughs> it wasn't uh, very eventful. I mean, uh, Jim Delaney decided not to talk to reporters this year, which he usually does, so that was a little bit of a surprise. So, But, yeah, I was able to get that from the basketball coach. The men's basketball coaches were there and the athletic directors and the deputy athletic directors. And so uh, some of the basketball coaches came and talked to us. Fran McCaffrey opted not to, but uh, I was talking to Greg Gard of Wisconsin because uh, – when they released their latest 20-game schedule for the Big Ten, they had those built-in uh, two-game rivalries between the in-state rivals, like Purdue, Indiana, Michigan, Michigan State, Northwestern, Illinois, and I asked Greg Gard if, if he wanted to have one of those for Wisconsin, and he goes, actually, yeah, we do. We've got Minnesota. They decided that currently at this meeting. So uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin will play each other twice every year in basketball, men's basketball, and now it looks like uh, that means Iowa and Nebraska are kind of the other natural pairing out here in this edge of the uh, Big Ten. So uh, going forward, for how long, we don't know, but uh, but they will be two games between Iowa and Nebraska every year. That's the plan. Uh, and they do play each other twice this year. So Tim Miles said he was he was great with that. He likes playing Iowa. He hears a lot about that rivalry when he's over there. And so uh, that's what it is. Chad, is this something Hawkeye fans should have a positive reaction to? Sure. I think yeah. so. I think so. I think it's, uh, especially in the western side of the state, I mean, I think that that's, that's a forgotten point. part of the state. You know, um, you know hmm. we spend a lot of our time going from central Iowa to eastern Iowa, but that... There's a lot of passionate Hawkeye fans over there, and Husker fans. And Husker haters. <laughs> and and Husker Hawkeye haters. haters. Yeah, it's, a, right. it's an eclectic mix. Yeah. <laughs> right. One and the same. So, yeah, I like it, and uh, it's it's close to where I live. It's actually almost as close as driving to Iowa City for me. So, um, yeah, uh, I assume, Mark, I'll probably be covering that every year that we work together yeah, on the road. And, you can have that one. Okay. That's cool. All right. That arrangement. Sure. But uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't, I should point out, it doesn't preclude Iowa playing Minnesota or Wisconsin twice each year. Right. They're playing Wisconsin twice this year, for example, but it just means that it's not going to be locked in every year like this one will be. Do you, yes. like, do you like that, Mark? I mean, just my knee-jerk reaction to it, I kind of like it. Not just because it's Nebraska yeah. and that yeah. seems to be like a, a common or maybe even a, an opponent that Iowa might have a slight advantage of over over time but yeah. uh, i like the idea of kind of locking in some of these games and not just having that rotating schedule for those yeah. home and homes and really for nebraska there's no other logical team i mean it's the only state they border in the big 10 is iowa right. um so I mean, you know nebraska wisconsin wouldn't make as much sense nebraska minnesota not as much sense so and they're trying to build up a football rivalry too i don't know if we mentioned this on last week's show but kirk Ferentz told us two weeks ago that the uh, the black friday iowa nebraska game will be back on the docket after two more years after they play the wisconsin for two years so that's they're trying to build up a rivalry, I think, between Iowa and Nebraska, just kind of generally in the Big Ten. That's kind of the new, the new border rivalry they're trying to establish since uh, you know Nebraska is kind of the new newcomer here, and they used to have that rivalry with Oklahoma. So uh, why not make it all sports? Right. So there is there is some sense to this, just you know, beyond just creating rivalries, because in the twenty game scheduling structure, you've got seven two plays and six single plays. So mm. now you can just have that rotating two play and then just rotate the other two six plays every other year you know what i mean so that i think right. that that's the the construct of it so really you're you're gonna have a a balance as balanced as you can get i think with the 20 game schedule right and it cuts out on travel a little bit they're trying to do that for every team too giving some kind of natural rival that yeah and, and kind of stress playing the, the regional teams more than going out to rutgers all the time yeah, I like, yeah exactly i that's like that point. makes sense for that uh wisconsin minnesota thing also two eight four five nine six six. if you'd like to join us here on hawk central we've mentioned it uh here throughout the show we've been excited to hook up with coach lavar woods he's a busy guy today and he uh he squeezes us in here coach thanks for giving us time this afternoon we greatly appreciate it yeah, absolutely. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, man. How are things going for you? I know you can't get into too many specifics, but uh, you, you having a good trip? 
Yeah, it's been good. Good. It's warm. Definitely warm around here right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've already covered some of this, Coach, but we'd like to just kind of get your, your response to some of the news of the day stuff, or news of the week in this case, that sports sure. betting case, uh, essentially legalized by the Supreme Court. What are what conversations are you having within the locker room or within the coaches' room about this decision and how it will affect your day-to-day operations? You know, to be honest with you, I haven't had any conversations because okay. uh, we've been out on the road recruiting and haven't been in as a staff. Um, you know, I think this this thing came down what Monday or Tuesday mm-hmm. uh, of this week, and you know, we haven't all been together. But uh, you know, I, I don't know too many things about it, to be honest with you. And I think going forward that. We'll all kind of get a better understanding of it as as things kind of play out. You know, as a coach and as a player, you don't really think too much about gambling. I think it's more for fans and people that that are that are spectators. But do you do you deal? I mean, have you in the past as a, as a staff dealt with you know warning your? Obviously, you must go through some kind of training with your athletes. You know, to to alert them that you know they're you know to avoid these kinds of activities and et cetera, right? Sure, I'm sure that there will be some type of training that you know more extensive training that'll that'll take place uh, with our compliance department and our athletic department. Um, but you know, it's obviously way too early to talk about that at this point uh, from from my standpoint. How about this, Coach? Can we kind of go backwards and look at the past, even last year? Do you, do you guys address this with guys? I mean, the fact that you might be confronted with somebody that wants to put something in your pocket, or how do you how do you preemptively strike against that with your team? You know, like I said, we haven't really talked too much about it. Um, wow. You know, and again, it hasn't been legalized uh, for us and up to up to this date. And I've, I'm not really an okay. expert on any of that at all, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't even know what lines are when we play. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good thing, Coach. I'm glad to yeah. hear that. <laughs> you know, one thing Coach Ferris has always stressed about, you know, the favorite and the favorite, the underdog, none of that ever really, ever really matters when they're playing. So. Yeah. That's kind of the approach everyone is taking. So, Coach, this is a—I know you're going to love this topic because uh, I found <laughs> we, uh, Mark and I found five guys: five: Kyle Groenweg, Brandon Snyder, Jaden Snyder, Jake Newborg, Monte Potabom, If I'm pronouncing that correctly, all from the same high school, and I think that is the most uh, uh, rich, uh, talent-rich high school on the Hawkeye roster. Uh, one that you're familiar with, West Lyon. How does that happen? What's the secret up there? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think those guys have have seen a guy like Brandon come down to Iowa, and uh, and be successful. And you know, he's done it the hard way. He's earned every everything he's gotten. He's been here. I think uh, you know, obviously, Jaden grew up in the same house with him, so he's got to see that firsthand. And I think those other guys have got a chance to see it, uh, see it along with you know Jake and Jake and um, and uh, Brandon were friends beforehand, and then Kyle and Brandon were were the same class classmates. And, I think they've all just seen that, and I think Brandon kind of laid the groundwork for that. And you know, he sees they've all seen an opportunity at Iowa that if they come in, they work hard, that they can see success and see the field. And I think they're all games to try to do that. Yeah, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is, is there something you know, you know, what makes uh, good athletes come out of West Lyon High School? I mean, uh, besides the water, what's <laughs> the secret? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I recruit up in that area now after growing up in that area and. The more I'm around there, the more I realize. First off, the schools are are way far apart. <laughs> you know, way farther than I remember. I just remember things being, oh, it's five minutes here. <laughs> well, it's actually like 35 minutes. Um, but you know, I, I think this. I think kids up in that area, they all grow up. It's ingrained in them that they they work hard, and that's all they know. You know, a lot of I've, 
gone to schools uh, recruiting where kid will have a weight session at five o'clock in the morning and then he's got to go load hogs or or do chores or something and help his family out at six o'clock and then be back at school and you know those are kind of traits that carry over to being to being a good college athlete and uh, I think that some of those guys have that and I also think you know when you look at you look at uh, some of those kids up there they're multi-sport three and four sport athletes that that tend to develop later um, later in their in their lives and in their their college careers I think that's can be an advantage for them you know so coupled with the you know the work ethic that they already have the desire that they have and they've actually seen a guy like like brandon and others that have um others that have done it and then and then you know couple that with the fact that they're a little bit late bloomers kind of under the under the radar if you will i think that makes a recipe for guys to have a chance to be successful so you grew up you grew up in that area right inwood were you an inwood guy I was an outboard guy, and there's a oh, there's okay. a distinct difference. Okay. Little Sorry about that. Oh. No, it's all right. <laughs> um, there's a distinct difference. Were you born there, or did you move there? I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and then okay. moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And my mom, um, my mom uh, got a she got a job in Sioux Falls, and then we moved across the border into Northwest Iowa. And, you know, rented a house there. Yeah, and f- so from what I understand, I mean the kind of those West Lion uh, coaching staff. You know, a lot of those coaches became really personally important to you as you grew up, and um, I just wondered if if you could reflect on that a little bit and, and how much the kind of the West Lion uh, just community me- means to you personally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's hard to put into words to me uh, what that place means to me, and the older I get, the more the more I realize how much it does mean to me, and like how it shapes you as a person. Um, but you know, Coach Rosenbaum was my my head coach. He was also my next door neighbor um, from the time I was in first grade, seven, seven years old. Um, so I've you know known him all the way all the way through. He wasn't a football coach at the time, um, but you know his other coaches, a guy named Eric Tegrodenheis, uh, Bud Hugavine, uh, Coach Tim Snyder, you know Brandon's father, and um, just some people in that area that that really took a guy like myself. I was the only kid I knew that didn't have both parents in the house and you know looking for uh Uh-oh. and uh did the job and i'm forever grateful to him mark i wouldn't dare try to ask coach wood about special teams man so i'm just going to step out of the way we'll let you uh let your eyes gloss over here for a little while okay well i mean first of all i should say that i think coach wood's being a little bit modest i was up at uh westland high school recently and his picture's hanging in the hallway there he's one of the hall of famers up there so i think he started this whole pipeline <laughs> that's what i was thinking too <laughs> <laughs> but anyway on to special teams uh yes sir Lamar, i mean this, this new kickoff rule uh, where teams can fair catch the ball inside the 25 yard line and then take it out to the 25 uh, i know uh, you guys use those pop fly kicks pretty effectively last year so what do you think about this new rule and what how it will change maybe how you approach kickoff you know it, it's, Right off the bat, you know, I can't say I'm really in favor of the rule. Um, you know, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to change the the uh, the game quite a bit. And I, you know, I understand the rule and I understand what they're trying to do to the game. I think there are different ways to to uh, to change the to change the rule and make it you know more uh, more friendly from a player safety standpoint. But you know, again, to me, I think I think what sometimes what it could possibly do is reward teams that aren't very good at return. You know, so they, you know that you're automatically giving the ball at the 25 yard line is sort of a cop out, if you will. Yep. You know, in my mind, we, we I think we're number six in the country last year in kickoff coverage. Spent a lot of time, uh, spent a lot of time working on it, and and uh, it paid dividends for us. And 
you know, then to me it seems like we're just giving teams a, an easy way out. Now, on the other side, if you're a kick return unit and you're not very good, which we were not early on in the season, um, you know, it could be an advantage for you. So you can look at it a couple of different ways. Again, what was explained to me from the officials was that, hey, we want to see more offense. That's the reason we're putting it out there. Well, you know, tell me a play that's more exciting than a kick return for a touchdown. Um, yeah. You know, maybe I'm biased because I've coached special teams, but I love kick returns and I love punt returns. And, you know, what's more exciting than that? Coach, if you gave, if they gave you a magic wand and told you to, you, we could do whatever you want to do on kickoffs, what would it look like? You know, I, I think this. I think I think they started with with removing the wedge, right? The four man wedge. I think that was absolutely necessary, and I've got scars to prove it. But the <laughs> the um, you know, and then they got it down to two man wedge. Not really a wedge. Um, you know, I think it, even if they got rid of that and made them all single blocks. But other than that, I mean, I don't see a whole lot of whole lot of change. If if you were going to do anything, and I think Nick Saban mentioned this about moving it up to the forty you know, the kickoff from the 40 and then letting people play from there. Not everyone can kick it in the end zone, you know. Um, but to me, it's sort of you just giving, giving teams a cop out by handing the ball to 25. They fair catch it. So that's what I would do. I would, I would, I would you know, eliminate the two-man wedge, and I would, um, and if last resort, I'd move it up to the 40. Mark, I know you've got a few others here for, for Coach Woods. Yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, after the pinstripe roll, I'm not sure you're even aware of this, Barbar, but uh, Miguel Racino's called Colton Rastetter, quote, the best holder in the country. Uh, first of all, do you agree with that? And second of all, what would make someone the best holder in the country? You know, it's really interesting. I did not uh, pay that close of attention to it until <laughs> I started, you know, paying more attention. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that, job is, that job is much more difficult than, than anyone thinks. And, you know, kickers are very particular with how they like the ball and where they want the seams and how they want the tilt and all those different things. So they can get a good, clean ball strike. And I think Colton has, you know, proved to, to, um, to be pretty proficient at that. And, and I know that you go and you watch the tape from that game, some of those, the snaps and uh, the snaps that he was, that he was catching in some of those holes were, were pretty dang good, you know. And uh, the conditions in that game were were very abnormal. And right. like the snapper was snapping rocks and the kicker was kicking rocks. We've heard Chad and Mark complain about it enough, Coach. We know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, like I told those guys, they can talk about that for the rest of their lives, yeah. playing in a game like that. Wow. Coach, when it comes to punting, would you rather have a guy that is going to give you a 40-yard punt every time or if uh, you had a guy in the team that could go for like 55 yards from time to time, but he's probably going to be more consistently around 30 yards, which guy are you going to give the ball to? <laughs> um, you know, I think, are we talking traditional punts? Are we talking about uh, rugby? What are we talking about? Uh, traditional punts. We're talking about a, yep, a fourth and 15 from your own 10-yard line. you got to boot it out of there. I think from our own 10-yard line, yeah, traditional punts, 55-yarder all day. Uh, I think I think everyone would take that, but I, I think I understand what you're getting at, and I do think this. I think that when you're consistently at the same yard line every single time, it's easy to design returns against the punter like that. Sure. Um, where yeah. when you're inconsistent, mm. and I try inconsistent isn't the right isn't the word. I unpredictable. Unpredictable. Right? If you're unpredictable, it's much harder to get your hands on balls to field them and return them. Yeah. And we found that out, you know, on our own. Uh, from the return game last year, you know, you face some of these some of these punters that you think you have dialed in, and next thing you know, they're kicking one over your head or or kicking one way short. You know, those are the ones that are hard okay. to field. Um, but that makes sense. I, I would say this that you know traditional punting, 
traditional punter, obviously, if you can get a guy that's consistent in the 42-yard range, um, you'll I think people will be happy with that. But there's also an element to a guy that can that can do a, a good rugby kick and good rugby punt and get the ball on the ground and rolling around. So punt returns, you mentioned that. Yes, uh, punt returns and kick returns, actually. Let's start with punt yeah. returns. Uh, we talked to you, I don't know, it's probably been two months now since we talked to you, but did sure. you talked about, I think, Amir, you talked about a couple other guys. Uh, did you did you end the spring with a front runner at that position? Because I know that's that's one you seem pretty passionate about wanting to make a difference at. Yeah, we've got to get better at that, um, particularly if they're going to de-emphasize kick return. You know, we mm-hmm. definitely have to get better at punt return. Um, I do think this, I think we've got a, a, a few guys that, that can be pretty good at it. And Amir is one of them, Kyle Grunewig is another one. I think both those two, any one of those guys could go out and and uh, give us some juice in the punt, re- in punt return game. There's some other guys, uh, some younger players that are working as well that I think it's too early to, to tell or too early to to, uh, to determine if they could go out there right now if we're going to play. Uh, but I think the two guys starting off would be Kyle and, uh, and Amir, and both of them have made a bunch of progress, a um, bunch of progress here in the spring. Amir's come you know light years from where he was last year at this time, and I've, I've told him that. You know, it's one thing, you know, last year he's young, giddy freshman. Hey, coach, I can be your punt returner, but he'd go out there and wouldn't be able to field the ball. Um, but now he's he's past that. You know, he's doing a good job fielding and making good decisions. And, he's, and you guys have seen on offense and on in, in the return game, he's electric when he has the ball in his hand. Mm-hmm. Well, coach, you maybe, you maybe have the answer here to this next one because you have a guy that sounds like can do both. I wanted to play the punter game with you. If I give you two yeah. return men, One's an electric yeah. playmaker that can absolutely break uh, break the game wide open, but the other is your best decision maker. Which guy's returning punts? Which guy's returning punts? Between those two? You got a game breaker with lightning speed, and you got yeah. a guy that's always going to make the right decision. I think the first one that's available. Okay. Hey, how's that for a dodge? It's all right. I mean, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right. What? Uh, can you walk us through the process of kind of I, going back to that? You know, because I don't want to totally dodge the question, but I do. I do feel really good about both those guys, and I yeah. and I, I felt good about them here for a while. So, you know, I think it's I think it's something that we're that we're excited about going into going into fall camp. All right, Ross was going to ask you something. Well, I'm totally dodging your question. <laughs> Ross was going to ask you something, but uh, but I just thought of something that is just a little hot tip I wanted to give you on the kickoffs: squib kicks. You can't fair catch a squib yeah. kick, so we'll yeah, just pay attention to that. Well, here, here's the thing that you know the the rule is to quote unquote uh, assist in player safety, right? It'll, mm-hmm. um, eliminate some injuries. Well, I'll be honest with you: what what's more dangerous in the kickoff game than an onside kick? Yeah, really. Um, so I think what what they've done is that they've gone ahead and. I think more. I think people are going to try more onside kicks. So, you know, mm-hmm. now now you're trying to protect yourself or players from onside kicks. And the other part that I think kind of gets gets overlooked is the squib game. And when you're squib kicking, first off, if you're covering the kicks, the guy that's the guy that's going to field that ball is usually a defensive lineman, a tight end, a linebacker, a guy that's not normally used to fielding the ball and, and carrying it. Not only that, but he's also a little bit bigger, and that collision is going to happen. A little bit sooner, so yeah, yeah that, that's one of the things that I'm not sure they quite took into took into consideration when they just wholesale changed the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think that it'll be interesting to see how it how it plays out this year and see where it goes from here. We kind of talked about the strategy of the new kickoff coach. Is that affecting at all the type of personnel, uh, the, the guys you're looking at putting back there as kickoff returners? 
Yeah, I think it's something we're going to have to look at and, and look at a little and study a little bit closer once we get off the road recruiting. But yeah. there's definitely you know something we have to think about. Can you walk us through that process of kind of selecting and identifying your special teams guys? Who's going to be on coverage teams and whatnot? Yeah, first off, we look at everybody uh, on our roster, unless you're a quarterback or an offensive lineman, for all for all phases and or all the core phases. Excuse me. We have a series of drills that we do that we that we work on on uh, different skills and our, our core skills, and then through that we evaluate guys, try to find guys that uh, that one want to do it and two that that can do it, and where can they help and how often can they help and you know how much they can play offense, defense, all those things. Um, now the other piece that the other piece that goes into that is sorry I'm driving right thought I missed my turn um, <laughs> but the other piece that goes the other piece that goes into that when we're evaluating guys um, there's there's some guys that can do both you know like Amani Hooker is an example where he's he has returned kicks in in his high school career he's also a good frontline guy on kickoff kick return is. You know, he, he can do a bunch of different things, and then it comes down to where, how many phases are you actually going to use a guy um, to, to contribute in special teams and where are they most valuable. Um, so we spend a lot of time uh, doing that. And again, a lot of those drills are a big big thing for us. Do guys... Uh, you know, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, what I was going to say, one of, the, one of the things that, if you can't tell my tone about this rule, <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the things that's somewhat <laughs> disappointing about, about that rule is you know, most guys don't come to, to Iowa expecting, you know, begging, like, hey, I can't wait to, to not be a starter and play on special teams, yeah. right? Everyone wants to right. be a starter on offense or defense. And, but what I think that our kickoff unit has done and what, what it can do for, for most teams is it gives guys that aren't a true starter uh, a role, for one, and it also gives them an opportunity to, to improve their skills in, as an offensive player or a defensive player. And to me, that's one yeah. of the, the biggest one of the uh, biggest things that that's going to detract from from the development of, of a player that you know what's what's the motivation for a second or third team player now if they know that hey, kickoffs are de-emphasized um, you know hey now it's almost as if they're going out there as a um, you know as a I don't know, for a lack of a better term as a as a showpiece you know hey we're going to go out we're going to kick one in the end zone and it's going to be touchback either way whether he fields it or whether it goes to the end zone, yeah. you know. It, to me, you might, you might as well just put it on the 25 then. Just give up both sides and put it on the 25. If the guy knows he's not a starter and he comes to you and volunteers for yeah. uh, for special teams duty, what what impacts that have? I'm sorry? If a, general, if a player knows he's not going to be starting, but he comes to you and he volunteers for special yeah. teams duty, what impact does that have? Yeah, that's huge, you know, and, and we definitely have guys that do that. We have guys that you know, we stress uh, roles and finding a role on, on the team and finding different ways to help our football team. That's something that's stressed all the way from the top down with Coach Ferentz. And um, so guys that, that come in that, that they know that that's their role and that, and they're excited about it, um, that's invaluable to, the, to our team. And, you know, it gets said, it gets said often in our, in our meetings that you don't have to be a starter to be a leader. You don't have to be a senior to be a leader. And um, you don't have to be a, a starter on offense or defense to – to be a contributor on this football team, and that's I think what what separates Iowa football from other programs. Um, and you know th- those are those are guys that that the program has been built on for years and years and years. All right, coach. Final minutes here. I got the one last yes, question for you. Fill in the blank yep. here. 
Hawkeye fans will be pleasantly surprised in the 2018 season with the new uh, North End Zone. <laughs> the water tower is second on the list, Coach. The, the, the water, the water tower. Yeah. How about that, <laughs> Coach? Thank you so much for giving us time. I know it was a wild day for you. We could kind of hear it in the background there. We greatly appreciate you giving us uh, as much time as you did. Thanks a lot. You, you got it. Hey, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. That's Coach Lavar Woods. When we get back, Mark Emmert, Chad Lysico will hang out with me till the seven o'clock bell tolls. We'll recap the interview we just had with Coach Woods and uh, clean up anything else that we had left on the the rundown here today for Hawk Central here on fourteen sixty KXNO. It's Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and fourteen sixty KXNO. Wrapping up Hawk Central here on fourteen sixty KXNO. A wonderful interview with Coach Lavar Woods. He's always a lot of fun to talk to. Mark, I know you got a chance to kind of spend a little bit more time up there in Northwest Iowa, where Lavar Woods is from. He really downplays the impact that he has had on that community and how big the Iowa Hawkeyes are up there in Northwest Iowa, doesn't he? Yeah, he was. He did that interview. Certainly, I mean, uh, if you go up there, they all know Levar Woods. I mean, he was the like I think he was a trailblazer. I mean, he came to Iowa and had a great career there. Played the NFL. Not a lot of guys can say that. And it's, you know, it's a pretty small town, but it's proud of its uh, football heritage there. And I talked to his coach, Jay Roseboom, that he mentioned, and, and Tim Snyder uh, also coached him. And uh, they all. I mean, he still drops in quite a bit. Hmm. He said he's there often. Uh, just he might just show up at the school, just pop into the office and talk for a while. So. Um, yeah, he, he's a he's a big name up there. Cool. You, you you have a couple pieces that are posted. One of them about Kyle Gronaweg. He's a receiver that came to the Hawkeyes through West Lyon. The other one about Cole Banwart. What can you tell us about these young men? Well, Gronaweg, he's the guy from West Lyon. We talked about him earlier. Obviously, he's the transfer coming in from uh, Sioux Falls. He was playing D two football for three years, and uh, I think the thing that kind of stood out about him is uh, you know, he's he's actually got quicker speed. He's still got the the two hundred meter record. For that school, West Lyon, he won state at that in that event uh, when he was a senior in high school. And uh, talking to his coaches and people that play with him and against him, like everybody's always surprised by how fast he is. And uh, he just used to blow by guys at, at the Division Two level. So I think uh, I think one year he was sixth in the nation in combined uh, punt and kick return yards at D two. And I think that's when Lavar was talking about him as a potential returner. Mm-hmm. I think that's real that he could actually come in and make a uh, impact there. I think we all want to kind of compare him to to uh, Nick Easley because the last year, you know, he was also the guy that kind of showed up and they're both smaller guys, but I think Easley's more the receiver, the route runner, you know, kind of the precise guy, the slot guy, and uh, Granovic is more of a burner uh, than uh, than Easley is. So that'll be interesting to see how his career plays out once he gets his hamstring healthy. Uh, Banward, I stopped in, uh, uh, Chad will remember this, we we talked to him once, uh, <laughs> they brought him out to talk to the media, you know, maybe six weeks ago or so, because uh, he's a guy that's uh, on the depth chart at both uh, center and right guard. And I think he's going to get a chance to play this year as a sophomore. And uh, he came out wearing his bandwork trucking shirt, and he talked. He didn't really want to talk much about himself, but uh, once we started talking about his hometown of Austin, uh, he, he lit up a little bit. And, and uh, I think he was enjoyed telling those stories. But it's a town of uh, 55 people that I had never heard of and hadn't been to. So he. What was the name of it, Mark? You, what, what was the name of his uh, town? Otteson, O T T O S E N. Um, and uh, he grew up on a farm near there, and uh, and uh, so he said, basically, you guys should come see if you want to see anything exciting. And, uh, I took him up in the offer, and I went up there and visited his family at their farm and their trucking company there, uh, in between Otteson and uh, I think West Bend is the other town there, and uh, had a great visit with his mom, and uh, it's been quite a rise for him. You know, he grew up with uh, two older sisters going to all their dance recitals. He was kind of the little brother that just kept growing and growing and growing and was always bigger than everybody in his class, and uh, so she took him to get some special lessons uh, in a nearby town. I think it was Spirit Lake to get you know get more sports training, and he ended up uh, 
transferring to Algona to play 11-man football as a junior and senior, and uh, now here he is as a Hawkeye with a full scholarship. I think he's the first kid from his high school that's ever gotten a full-ride scholarship at Iowa, so they're very thrilled about him up there, and uh, he's a very good, young, humble young man, and make it to some playing time this year. That's great. Good stuff. Mark Emmett, and more stuff coming for Mark. You're working on a piece with uh, Brandon and Jaden Snyder, so we'll look yep. forward to that. We'll talk about that next week. Chad Lyskull will probably set up another fantastic program for us. Know who we're talking to next week? Reese Morgan. That'll be a fun one. All right. Awesome. Tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat channel for Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO.